0: ask you this morning to uh, please open your Bibles to the uh, book of John, John chapter 20. You'll open your Bible to the book of John, John chapter 20, and when you find that place in your Bible, John chapter 20, I'm going to ask you to hold that place in your Bible because we're actually going to begin in the book of Matthew, but we're going to come back to John in a few moments, so if you'll open to uh, John chapter 20, and as soon as you find that, if you'll just hold that with a piece of paper or a pencil or something, or just hold your finger there, and then if you'll go to the book of Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27 is where we're actually going to start this morning, I'm in a different church almost every Sunday of the year, and I've had the privilege of being here in your church one Sunday per year for the last I think it's been seven or eight uh, years in a row now and one year I got I had the privilege of being here twice in one year and I was thankful for that of course and I don't say this just everywhere I go but I really do look forward to this meeting every year it's one of my favorite places to come I love your pastor, I love his family, and I've gotten to know many of you and love you, but I must admit, I love your music around here. <laughs> they just don't know how to sing up north, I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they try, bless their heart, but they just don't know how to do it. <laughs> but I love, the, I love your singing here, and so thank you so much for the music this morning. I've enjoyed every, every moment of it. I love that bass voice in the quartet, don't you? you just love to hear somebody sing bass like that the way and and I but I've always wondered why it's always the ugly guy that sings bass. (laughs) Well I just made one enemy. (laughs) Maybe two, I don't know. But anyway. Thank you so much for being here this morning and thank you for allowing me to be here. Can you hear me well in the back? Is, is the microphone adjusted well? Can you, can, if you can hear me well in the back, would you raise your hand? Okay, good, good. All right, thank you so much. We'll make sure. Today what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to listen to every fact that I present in my message this morning. The way you would listen if you were in a courtroom, the way you would listen if we were having a trial by jury, Because somebody's life will depend upon you hearing and understanding the facts that are presented this morning in the message. And when I say somebody's life, I don't mean simply this life that we often think of when we use the word life. The Bible speaks of this life that we're living this morning as a vapor. It just vanisheth away in a moment. But there is another life beyond this life. And that life, we often refer to it as eternity. And every person sitting in this room this morning will live a second life in eternity This life is just a vapor. It just lasts for a a mere moment, and it vanisheth away. It only lasts 70 years. It only lasts 80 years. It only lasts 100 years at the most, and that seems like a long time to us, but compared to, to eternity, it's no more than the vapor that rises from a boiling pot and just vanisheth away. I heard one preacher describe eternity like this. He said if there, were, if there were one sparrow on the earth, and that one sparrow picked up one grain of sand and flew a million miles out into space and deposited that one grain of the sand, and that sparrow flew back a million miles to the earth and picked up a second grain of sand, And he flew back to where he had put the first grain of sand a million miles away and deposited the second grain of sand next to the first grain of sand. And then he began flying back towards the earth when that sparrow had transported every ounce of matter that is the earth to that new location, eternity, would have just begun. That is very difficult for us to comprehend because we live in a life that has time frames on everything. We're already thinking, how long is he going to preach this morning so we can go eat lunch? We're already thinking, how long am I going to be able to take a nap this afternoon? We're already thinking... Am I going to make it back in time for the evening service tonight after that ball game gets over? Everything we do has time limits to it, but eternity has no limits. We've, we, we've sung many songs this morning, and I've enjoyed every one of them, about the fact that we're saved. And because we're saved, our sins have been forgiven, and we're going to get to spend that second life, eternity, in a place called heaven. But there are people in the world today and possibly and probably some here in the room this morning who do not know exactly what it means to be saved. Or if they do know what it means, they've never done it. They've never accepted Christ as their payment for their sin. And they will not spend eternity rejoicing in heaven like many of us are planning to do. But they understand, and you may be one of those this morning, that there is another place where people spend eternity who have not been saved. And that place is called the Lake of Fire. So this morning, I would ask you to listen carefully because the moment that this event I'm going to talk about this morning happened, the moment it happened, there began a plot to distort the facts. An all-out campaign to distort the truth of what had happened. If you would this morning, I'd like for you to look at Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to begin with verse 57. Matthew 27, 57 begins like this. When the even was come, even there is referring to evening, when the evening was come, when the latter part of the day was come, and the day that it is speaking of is the day that Jesus Christ was crucified. When the evening, or the even, of, was come of the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate, and if you'll look at me just for a moment, Pilate was the governor of the of the uh, city of Jerusalem in that area, kind of like our mayor, but a little bit different than that. But uh, if you have to understand that in the city of Jerusalem where this took place, there were basically three groups of people. There were the original Jews or Hebrews that had always lived there. There were the Romans who had come from Rome and conquered their nation. Pilate was a Roman. He had been appointed as the governor of Jerusalem in that area. By Rome, and then there were the Christians that had gotten saved, and those three groups were there in uh, Jerusalem at the time. And so it says in verse 58, uh, he, Joseph, went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus that was still hanging on the cross. When Pilate then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered, and when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own New tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, or he had carved it out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed. All right, if you look at me just for a moment. The sepulchre is a compartment that has several tombs in it. I've been to this particular one the Bible's talking about. And it has more than one tomb, and it. it is vaguely similar to what we would refer to as a mausoleum. You know, we usually bury people in a grave, but, but some places, they especially down in southern Louisiana where the water table is so high, they bury people in mausoleums, and that's above ground, and each person has their own little section of that mausoleum where they're buried. Well, this tomb was a section in the sepulcher, or we might call it a, a, a mausoleum. All right, let's continue reading. And when, uh, in verse, uh, let's see, I read verse 60. Verse 61, And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. So they were watching him. They saw him put the body in there. Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, now if you look at me again for a moment, the next day that followed the day of preparation, the, the Jewish people, had a a custom or a law in their day that their Saturday was called the Sabbath and they were not allowed to work on the Sabbath on Saturday. You remember in America there was a time when nobody worked on Sunday, no businesses were open. They used to have what they called the blue laws in America and there were no businesses open on Sunday. Well in their day, their Saturday was like our our Sunday used to be. But even more so, they, they not only couldn't open their business, they couldn't do any work around the house. They couldn't Cook a meal. They couldn't sweep the floor. And so they had to prepare for Saturday on Friday. So Friday was called the day of preparation. So the next day after the day of preparation, they're now speaking about Saturday. So go back to verse 62. Now the next day, which was Saturday, that followed the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees came together to Pilate, saying, Sir, We remember that 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 deceiver, they're speaking about Jesus, they're calling him a deceiver, said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch... Alright, if you look at me just for a moment. What Pilate was saying there to these Jewish leaders, you had the Roman Empire ruling the Jewish people in Jerusalem and um, the Roman Empire allowed a few of the Jews to have some leadership. The, some of the Pharisees and the, some of the ch- chief priests and so forth. And those Jewish leaders went to their Roman governor and said, we want to make the sepulchre sure. We want to put a guard there and make sure that that, uh, nobody steals the body and claims that Jesus rose from the dead. And Pilate said to those Jewish leaders, you have a watch, or what he meant was, you have some watchmen. You have some uh, soldiers, some Roman soldiers that have been assigned to you to, to help you enforce your laws and so forth. And so, take some of those watchmen and make the sepulchre as sure as you can. All right. Look in verse um, 65 again. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your or watchmen, go your way and make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. If you look at me again just for a moment, The sepulcher had an opening where you walked in and then there were tombs in there. In that opening, they would take a big round stone, a huge thing, I've seen one of them. Uh, It's about as tall as I am and it's about six or eight inches thick and you roll it in place. It's got a little notch there on the ground that it fits in and then they put some wax on the top of it, some warm wax to seal it so that they'll know if anybody has broken in or not. And so he said, go, go make your sepulchre sure. He said, uh, put your stone there and seal it. And, and so they did, and they put their watchmen in place. So right now in, in verse 1 of chapter 28, in the end of the Sabbath, at the end of the Sabbath, that means it's coming up on Sunday morning, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And if you remember the story, when they got there Sunday morning, that... The, uh, uh just about the time they got there, an earthquake happened and an angel rolled the stone out of the way and the angel told them, you can look inside if you want to, it, it, but, but he's not there. He's already gone. And they misunderstood. They didn't understand what the angel was saying and they thought somebody had stolen the body. So they ran back into town to tell the disciples, the tomb is open, it's empty, and somebody stole the body. All right now if you look down at verse 11 now when they the two Marys were going going back into town to tell the disciples behold some of the watch or watchmen came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done and when they the chief uh, priest were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel they gave large money unto the soldiers saying Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. (laughs) Can you look at me just for a moment? To me, this is the humorous part of the story. (laughs) If they're going to come up with an idea to to persuade everybody that uh, somebody stole his body, it just seems to me they could have come up with a better story than we know exactly what happened because we were asleep when it happened. But that's the story they came up with. We'll give you a large amount of money to go around telling people that you know what happened because you were there and you were asleep while it happened. But that's what they told them to say. Verse 14, And if this come to the governor's ears, Pilate's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. In other words, we won't let Pilate punish you for being asleep on the job. So they took the money and did as they were taught And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. So if we were in a courtroom this morning and we were having a trial and we were trying to decide what had happened there at the tomb after Jesus Christ was buried, the opposing side has presented their case. (laughs) And their case is built on one thing. It's built on some soldiers who were paid a large sum of money to tell us that they know what happened because they were asleep while it happened. Now I would like to present to you very quickly this morning six different witnesses for our side of the story. On our side of the story, we first have a witness by the name of Mary. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them uh, that had been with him. So my first witness is a lady by the name of Mary, Mary Magdalene. She was the first one who saw him that morning after he rose from the dead. My second witness is actually two witnesses. Later on in that same day in the afternoon, the Bible says... After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country that same day to a village called Emmaus. And it came to pass that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, their eyes were opened and they knew him. And they rose up the same hour turned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together. So my first witness is a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. She's the first one who saw him early that morning. Later that afternoon, two men were on their way to a village and Jesus came and walked next to them and while they were sitting at the supper table eating with him, they realized who he was. They jumped up and ran back into town to tell the eleven. My third witness is actually eleven people. And the... The, the third witness, the Bible says, then the same day at evening, the same day that Jesus had rose from the dead, the same day that Mary had seen him, the same day the two men on the road to Damascus, uh, on the road uh, to Emmaus had seen him, then, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. So our first witness, Mary Magdalene. Second witness, two men on the road. Third witness, 11 people that all saw him at the same time. Our fourth witness. Our fourth witness is a man by the name of Thomas. When the 11 were gathered together, Thomas commonly would have been there with them, but for some reason the Bible doesn't tell us why he was missing. And so when they told him later, Hey, Thomas, we saw the Lord. He rose from the dead. He said, No way. I don't believe that. He said, In fact, I won't believe it until I touch him with my own hands. But the Bible says, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. And you remember the story how Thomas had said, I won't believe it until I touch him, but Jesus simply spoke to Thomas and Thomas didn't have to touch him. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So my fourth witness is a man by the name of Thomas who admitted that this was the Christ. My fifth witness, and I move along quickly on purpose because my sixth witness, I'm going to take a few moments and explain that one to you. But my fifth witness is actually seven people. The Bible says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. There were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And they had fished all night, and they caught nothing. And then Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship. Now, uh, they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. So we have five different witnesses now that all saw Christ, and in most of the cases, the, the witnesses actually witnesses But now I come to our sixth witness. Most of what I've said so far this morning, most of us in the room this morning are fairly familiar with most of the details of that part of the story. But I'll admit to you, I had been saved and preaching and reading my Bible regularly for many years, a few decades, until I ever noticed this sixth witness. The sixth witness that witnessed the resurrection of Christ is not mentioned on the day that he arose, nor eight days later, nor a few days after that. In fact, the sixth witness is never mentioned until 25 years later. 25 years later, Paul the apostle is writing a letter to the uh, folks at Corinth, and while he's writing that letter, he makes a statement that I'll admit to you I had never noticed until just a few months ago. In In that letter, Paul makes this statement. He's writing the letter 25 years after Christ rose from the dead and Paul says Christ died for our sins. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you've never fully understood that, I want you to fully understand before we go any further that Jesus Christ died for a particular purpose. It wasn't just a historical event. It wasn't just something that, that, that happened because things just sort of fell into place and this country was having this problem and this guy got a cue. No, there was a reason why Jesus Christ died. The reason He died was because when Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden, they were perfect. They had no sin in them, but they chose to sin. And when they sinned, sin came into the world and it was passed down from Adam and Eve to every single person that has ever lived on the face of the earth except Jesus Christ. And because every one of us have sinned, Every single person in this room this morning has gotten angry at someone they shouldn't have been angry at. Every single room, person in this room this morning has said something they shouldn't have said. Every person in this room this morning has done something they should not have done. Every person in the room, I'm guilty of sin, he's guilty of sin, he's guilty of sin. Even the pastor's guilty of sin. Every person in here this morning owes a debt to God because of the sin that we have, we have chosen to do And that that, that debt that we owe to God can only be paid by spending that second life I spoke about earlier that lasts for eternity in a place called the lake of fire, a place called hell. I deserve to go there and burn in that lake forever. But Jesus Christ lived on the earth and never sinned one single time. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He wasn't paying His penalty. He was paying your penalty. He was paying my penalty. And that's what it says, that's what it means when when Paul wrote Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. And He was seen of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above, listen to this, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present, but some are fallen asleep. That's a biblical term for death. Some have died. You know, I've read dozens and dozens of books about world war ii probably literally a couple of hundred books about world war ii because my father was in world war ii and it interests me a great deal and in those books i've read many accounts of men who received the congressional medal of honor the, the highest award that our government gives to a military uh, man serving uh, in combat and That began to interest me, so I got some books about the Medal of Honor, and I have read the official account of every single man in the history of America who has ever received the Congressional Medal of Honor. There's been hundreds of them up through the Vietnam War. And you know what amazed me when I read those accounts? Is the fact that for a man to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest award our government gives, he has to have a total of... Two witnesses. That's all. It only takes two. Our government will give a man the highest award that we present to anybody, any citizen in our country, if there are two witnesses. The Bible tells us that there was not only Mary and the two on the road and the eleven in the, uh, gathered together and Thomas and the the seven at another time, it tells us that at one time over 500 witnesses all saw Jesus Christ at the same time after he had rose from the dead. (laughs) That's a little more than two. You know, God is God. He could have said, My son rose from the dead, now believe it, and you can go to heaven. And if you don't believe it, you won't get to come to heaven. And, and, and he could have just simply said, It happened, and, and now you, you, you need to believe it. But God knows that you and I are weak. God knows that you and I often have doubts hey, are you like me? If Mary was the only one that saw Jesus rise after he rose from the dead, could you wonder if this lady that was all emotional and distraught and crying, it was early in the morning and just barely daylight, could she have maybe misunderstood what she thought she saw? Hey, are you like me? If the two on the road to Emmaus were the only two who saw him, could you wonder if those two guys got together and matched up their story and came up with this story they were going to tell? Hey, are you like me? If only the eleven had seen him, those eleven that stuck their neck out, that walked away from their jobs, walked away from their careers, and, and put their trust in Christ, and now he's gone, and he's been crucified, and, and, and so they got together, and they closed the doors, and they came up with this story, are you like me, could you wonder if maybe those eleven got but if. 500 people all saw him at the same time. And 25 years later, all 500 of them, except for a few who have passed away, are still here and they're still willing to testify that they saw Christ. You know, I love, I love the fact that God not only provided a way for me to get to heaven, He made it easy for me to believe that that way is my way to heaven. Turn, if you would now, please, to the book of John, chapter 20, and we're going to quickly wrap this up. John, chapter 20, and let's begin with verse 8. John, chapter 20, verse 8 says, Then went in also that other disciple, this is when Mary had gone to town and told the disciples, Hey, his body's missing. Then two of the disciples jumped up and ran to the sepulcher, and in verse 8 it says, Then went in also that other disciple, speaking about John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Not believed like trusted Christ as Savior, believed that Mary said the tomb was empty, and it really is. Verse 9, For as yet they knew not the Scriptures, that he, Jesus, must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. And seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Mary she turned herself and said unto him, "Rabona," which is to say, "Master, you notice that when the angel said, "Woman, why weepest thou?" she's kept right on crying. When Jesus Christ himself said, "Woman, why weepest thou?" She's kept right on crying. But when he called her name, when he said, Mary, then she recognized his voice. And she said, Master, it's you. This morning, God is not a God that is somewhere way off out there in space in this mysterious place, hoping that this group of people in this room this morning will believe this well-documented historical fact that His Son rose from the dead. This morning, God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, is in this room with us. And He, at this very moment, is calling somebody's name. There's somebody sitting in this room right this minute and you feel a little uncomfortable. You feel a, a little nervous. Your heart's beating just a little quicker than usual, and you're wondering, is everything that guy up there saying true? <laughs> it, 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 is is everything in the Bible really written by God? Is that really true? Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell that people burn in forever? Uh, it, 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 is all this he's talking about? Does it? count for me, too, just like anybody else? And right this moment, God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, is saying, yes, Bill, it's for you. Yes, Dorothy, it's for you. Yes, Sam, it's for you. I remember the night I got saved, I was sitting in the very back of the auditorium in a little, bit, a little church that would seat about 40 people. And I said to myself and to God, as soon as they give the invitation, I'm going to go down front and get saved. But they didn't give an invitation when they normally give one. And I said to myself, oh, I'm disappointed. i want to go down front and get saved. And when I said that to myself, the Holy Spirit said to me, you don't have to wait until you go down front to get saved. You can get saved right now. And I did one thing. I believed it. And that moment, my eternity was decided that I was going to be in heaven forever with my sins forgiven. Not because I did anything other than I believed it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life like to have every head bowed and every eye closed.